keep on going through the uh, first chapter here, and God willing, in Second Peter, I'm calling this time in Second Peter a virtuous life of love. The virtuous life of love. We've been going through all the attributes of what the apostle lays out here as things that we want to supply our faith with that have already been supplied to us to live out uh, the Christian life. Catherine and I were having a discussion about this this morning. It matters very much what we believe because we act on what we really believe. Uh, belief uh, is, is the uh, foundation of behavior. And that's why it's so important, as Brian prayed a while ago, for us to be in the Bible and the Scriptures, to renew our mind, to wash our minds with the water of the Word. Because the more we are in the Scriptures, the greater our faith grows, and our belief in what's taught there, and who's revealed there, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is going to ultimately, uh, certainly, bear out in how we live. I love this uh, quote from John Calvin. I've used it many times because it's just so good. He said, we're not saved by faith and works, but we are saved by faith which does work. That's really well put. That, that um, what we believe bears out in how we live. And uh, so let's go through this and let's, go, let's look at these, these attributes, these things that we want to supply to our faith that have already been supplied to us. And let's finish uh, going through them. We stopped at midway last week. And God willing, we're going to work through the rest of them this morning. Uh, some of this we'll have to go back and review uh, just to make sure that we're in the flow of things. But if you are physically able, will you stand with me as we read from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained light, precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to You in the name of Your Son, and we worship and praise and adore and bless Your worthy name. We're thankful, Lord, that You are not a God, You are the God, and You have made Yourself known. And You promised some things in the Scriptures from the very beginning that You made good on because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory 
as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That your Son, God the Son, took on human flesh and became a man. And through Him, you made an atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins and the guilt that, that, uh, that we are, were under. And now we're not under condemnation, but we're justified in your sight through faith in Him. And Father, we pray that, that that precious faith and all the things that we've been gifted, that by faith, through diligently pursuing the righteous walk, that they would be made manifest in our lives. So much so that we live not barren lives, but fruitful lives. And we have a calling and an election of faith that we can be confident in because there's, there's fruit that comes from it. And that we would not stumble and just totter around in the Christian life, almost like a pinball being bounced around in a pinball machine, but we would come to a place where your Son is made manifest in a holy walk. Not to get saved, but because we are saved. And He would be on display for your glory in our lives to others. And Father, we thank You for Your love for us, and we pray now that You will take the tiller, of the, of the Holy Spirit and you would till up the soil of our hearts and turn it over many times over to the rich soil is, is turned up beneath so that when the Word falls down as we've just received it it falls down into open, fertile hearts that receive it easily and that it takes root at the very bottom of our hearts and by taking root that it grows up healthy and there's a healthy plan on the surface because there's a strong root system beneath. And that plant would grow and, and thrive in the middle of persecution and difficulty and temptation and trials and all the things that come when the sun comes up. And that that would only stand to make it stronger because beneath the surface we're searching for water through Your Word and we're sustained and anchored by it. And that one day on the end of the vine there'll be beautiful fruit not produced by us, but born by us. Produced by You to Your glory. This is what we pray, Lord. These little ones among us who have uh, uh, a lifetime ahead of them according to Your plan, whatever it is, we don't know how much we any of us have, that they would grow up and be fruitful Christians, fruitful believers. They would bear much fruit whereby You're glorified. Not so that anybody goes, wow, what great parents. But they'll go, wow, what a great God. What a great God. And Lord, move and work among us, we pray. Have Your free hand to do whatever You want to do to move our hearts and bend them toward You. Not by some tool that hurts us, but by love that melts us. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Paul goes through this, Peter goes through this list and we see them, and we've talked about them over the last couple of weeks, this list. Let's be careful to affirm something here this morning. Let's be real careful. And that is this, that we're not looking at a mere list. We're looking at a life. This is not a list. This is a life. We're experts in Christendom to find out the five things that we must do to be effective whatevers. And we'll take all these lists and we'll use these lists. This is a list in the Bible. But this list is predicated, founded upon a life. And that life is the life of Jesus Christ. So this is not a list. This is a life. This is a virtuous life of love. 
and we talked about it. It has to mean that when we talk about adding to our faith, some translations say add to your faith. The better way of looking at it, the better translation is supply your faith with these things. And it has to be that it's supply, not add. Because he just got through saying that we have, through his divine power, everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So if we have everything through the knowledge of Him, we don't have anything to add. We just draw from what we already have. So when He says, add to your faith, it's really supply. Some of your translations will say supply. I think it's the New American Standard that says supply. But it's supply your faith with virtue. Draw, supply your faith with what's already been supplied to you. That's what we've talked about and affirmed over and over again. It says supply to it virtue. Virtue means moral excellence. We talked about that before. Then when it goes to virtue, it goes to knowledge. And knowledge, we talked about and affirmed, that no less than 16 times is that word used in 2 Peter alone. And it's talking about not knowing about God, but knowing God. An intimate knowledge of God. The, the intimate, the most intimate of relationships that can possibly be. An intimate walk with Jesus where we understand and discern truth and we take the truth and we properly comprehend it and we know how to apply it. We used to suppress the truth before we got saved in our unrighteousness. But now, we receive it and by God's grace live it out. And we talked about how that when our feelings don't line up with the truth, let's go with the truth. It's not what we feel, it's what we know that makes the difference. That's why we sing these songs and we try to be careful to make sure that every phrase is either biblical or founded in biblical truth because we're affirming and receiving truth. I sing truth as, as, as passionately as I can sing it when I feel sometimes terrible. Because, and that's the time to passionately sing it when you don't feel like it. Don't let your feelings drive you. They're not trustworthy. But God and His Word are. And He said abide in that Word. And we talked about that last week and what that word abide means. And we talked about the fact that the reason so many people are susceptible to the error of false teachers is because they've really not tried their Christianity. They've toyed with it and they've tiptoed through the tulips but they've really not tried it. And then the devil comes along and says there's something insufficient about it. Then a false teacher comes along and says, aha, it's this. And they go, oh, that's the missing piece. And then they go in that direction. And so we find our life in Him and that does away with the restlessness that exists without Him. John Piper said this once, that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Boy, I've thought about that statement a lot. And I believe He's dead on it. That's exactly right. When we get to the point, wherever our urges are and our longings, we look to Him to satisfy them. We look to our faith in Christ and we look no other. And then, he says, add to your knowledge self-control. We talked about the fact that that word really means holding oneself in. And it was used of athletes who do things to discipline their body to perform at peak levels. I ran across this too though. There's a Greek scholar who's well regarded and has been for decades who teaches at um, 
D.L. Moody at the, uh, at the Bible Institute there in Chicago, Moody's Bible Institute. And he's a biblical scholar, a Greek scholar. And he said the sense of this self-control really refers to controlling your body sexually and to making sure that you're sexually pure in your attitudes, actions, thoughts, and a sexual, staying away from sexual immorality. Self-control. Add to that self-control perseverance. We talked about the fact that's patience and endurance in doing what is right. It means remaining strong even in the middle of toil and hardship. And there's a joy that comes from that because of the orientation we have of things above. And then we talked about godliness. He said, add to that. Supply your faith with the godliness that's already been supplied to you. It means a reverence for God. It means to fear God. And we talked about at length that to fear God does not draw you away from God, it draws you to Him. Other fears draw you away from the object. To fear God draws you to Him because you know it is under His arm and His shelter there's safety. He's God. And then it says, supply to your faith brotherly kindness. I'm not going to be negative here, but I'm going to be honest. I've been a Christian and I've been in Christian circles for a long time been a pastor now for many years. And I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. And if y'all get mad at me, please just, just bear with me for just one second. But over the course of time in Christendom, I, I have to say this, that some of the most nasty, rude people that I've ever met in my life are people who profess to know Christ inside the church. And it should not be that way. The only reason I, the only reason I say that is, is that must change. That's got to change. The representation that we give for Christ to a world that's dying is often pathetic. And I would not want to be a part of us if I saw often what is in us. And I really believe that there are those among us, often in Christian circles, who profess a faith that they have no good biblical reason to hold on to. Because if you live a life of rudeness and you live a life of kindness, you have not met the most kind person who ever walked the face of this earth. The Bible says that if you love people that love you, whoop-de-doo, that even lost people can do that. A lost person, that comes natural. Lost people do have filio for others. But God says, if you have my love for others, you'll love your enemies. And in that text, He says He is, God is kind to evil and unthankful people. That's the word He uses, kind. Kindness should characterize Christ's bride. Not rudeness. This is something we leave out. But God does it in the definition of love. In the 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is not rude. It is not rude. If there's rudeness in your life, if there's a lack of brotherly affection and kindness, dear ones, go to the Lord and find out why that is. And repent and supply your faith drawing from a Savior who's kind to people who are evil and unthankful. That should be the characteristic. It means an affection for others. It means compassion for others. It means a kind, generous way. One of my spiritual mentors, one of the most godly men I know, has had an incredible amount of influence on my life. He's an associate pastor at another church. And he told me one time that an evangelist, that he's well respected, 
said to him that a Christian has never has an excuse to be unkind. That's true. True. I'm going to tell you right now. We go into stores all the time. And I just, I just, you can go into a store and somebody treats you. And, I, and, I, and you know what my thought is? If you stay like this, you're going to guarantee that you'll, know, you'll go no farther than where you are right now. And when, when I was in the banking business and we had, we had employees and we hired employees, if you gave me the option between somebody who had great skill but was rude or somebody we had to work with and kind of fumble through things but was kind, give me the kind person any day of the week. Any day of the week. Because the rude ones who were skillful make customers mad. And the first person they're going to make a beeline to is where is the manager? He's that guy over there, that goofy looking guy over there. And then they come running at you and you're going, oh boy, this doesn't look good. Why? Because there's no kindness, no gentleness, no affection, no appreciation. Oh my, that ought to characterize the body of Christ. This is a burden for me because I'm telling you right now, my faith, I'm not, I'm not boasting, but if everybody that I had confidence in and, or at least had regard for turned in their keys today and said there was nothing to it, if the person that was instrumental in leading me to Christ came in here today and said there's nothing to it, it wouldn't change how I feel about Jesus and what I know about Him. Not one iota. But there are many among us who are examining Christian faith and they're putting their toe in the water and they're investigating things and up comes along somebody who is rude and unkind and what does it do but undermine everything we say and the hands that we raise and the songs that we sing and how often we meet. None of that matters. None of it has credit if there's not kindness. And I'm telling you right now, people expect us to be that way. They really do. We've talked about this time and again. Lost people, whether they ever embrace Christian faith or not, expect saved people to act differently. They really do. You want to know why? Just disappoint one of them. And they'll zing you. I've had people at the bank, just back when I was in the banking business and we go to a meeting and they'd think that maybe I was doing something that wasn't consistent with my faith and they would zone right in on that, just hoping it would be true. And then find out it's not. Or maybe, and I'm not talking about the perfect life, I'm talking about a life of humility that's characterized by kindness. There to be a sense and a spirit of kindness in Christian circles. Supply your faith with what's been supplied to you. Because let me tell you this, before you got saved, and certainly since you've been saved, and since I've been saved, God's been kind to me. Oh my goodness. If, there, if there's anybody in the world that's evidence of God's patience, it surely must be me. I mean, the, the dictionary ought to have patience and ought to have my picture beside it. That's what God puts up with and has put up with and loves nonetheless. And if He's like that, let me ask you a question. What excuse do we have? Affection for others. Brotherly kindness. Put it on. Put it on. Let it be the testimony that we could turn around and say, oh no. These, let it be, oh, these are the most loving people I've ever met in my life. These are kind people. These are kind people even when I wasn't kind. Lee Strobel tells the testimony of how when his wife got ill and she had come to Christian faith and he was still contending about Christian faith. And he was working at the Chicago Tribune. He was a cigar-smoking, smart-aleck journalist from Chicago. You know, he was like, you know, like that. And he was, he was crass. He, this is his own testimony. Just a, just, a, just a profane man. Very unpleasant to be around. There's a Christian in his yanks 
in his ranks among him at the, the Tribune that worked at the paper. And he, he spit in that guy's face. He did everything he could to demean him. He did everything he could to marginalize him. He did everything he could to make fun of his faith. And all that guy did was love him. And he receives a phone call. And he said, uh, this is so-and-so and so-and-so. And he said, I lost touch with him. I found out about your... It was his daughter that's taken ill. And I just want you to know, could I come up there and sit with you and pray with you and just be with you in the hospital? And that was the game changer for Lee Strobel. He said, that guy who had no reason to give me the time of day took his time to come up there and elicit the prayers of his church and he was kind to me. And his kindness was the validation of Christian faith in my view. And he got saved. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. To say nothing of being kind to one another. It's not just lost people we need to be kind to. We're to be kind to one another. There ought to be the character, there to be the Christian witness of the church. If it's not, dear one, repent. We shouldn't be rude. We shouldn't be crass. We shouldn't be short with one another. None of those things. And then here's the, here's the goal of it all. Add to your brotherly kindness love. Love. Supply. Supply. And my, have we been supplied with love. You know why this is so important. This is not a progression. I mean, really. It's, it's just, it, 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 it is in a sense a progression of growing faith. But the ultimate goal is to get to the end. It's not like, let's do most of this. Let's get there. And let's get there above all these things, Colossians says, the Apostle Paul, put on love. You know why? Virtue Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, even godliness, and brotherly kindness. Without love are just shows of the flesh. Self-exaltation parading as spirituality. That's what it is. It's a sham. It's a sham. You know what? We've talked about this time and again. We're going to talk about it time and again. God willing, and until Jesus comes, until this is no longer a priority with God, we'll stop it being a priority here. But the church, you know that there are three Greek words from which the love word, English word, English word love can come from. Two of them are used in the New Testament. One of them is eros. That's not used in the New Testament, but it is one of the Greek words. That talks about sensuality. Then we have phileo. You can remember that by chick phileo. Phileo. I have to do things like this. It helps me. Might not help any of y'all. Or maybe you're just too prideful to admit it. But phileo. And then we have agape. Then we have agape. Every time in the Bible that God's love is referred to, it's always used. The word agape is always used. Right? Y'all with us on that? It'll say phileo, and it might translate in English love. We got one word, but we need to look behind the word and see what's underneath it to get our understanding. Matter of fact, we won't get into it right now, but our Lord's dialogue with Peter when he restored him in John 21, it's essential to understand those differences. But let me just say this to you. Here's how we can, here's how we can kind of sum them up and bring them home. Watch this. Eros is love that takes Chick-fil-A-O. Phileo 
is the love of give and take. But agape is the love that gives and there's no taking involved. There it is. Right there. See, agape expects nothing in return. It doesn't alter. See, human love, best we can do is we love and we expect something sooner or later in return from it. And when we don't get it, that gives out. It runs fain. But a God's love is not like that. It keeps on loving regardless of if it ever... As a matter of fact, it loves even when it doesn't get love in return. It loves when it gets hatred in return. And scorn. And marginalization. And, and misunderstanding. Lying. And false accusations. Whatever it gets in return. God's love is this. I love you unconditionally whether you ever love me or not. Here is the piano part. In our circles, let's be honest, we can talk about ourselves. The, the Bible talks about us. In our circles, we have filio, we have phileo, we have chick phileo parading as agape. And it soon comes to the surface. One day in your spiritual journey, God's going to show you the difference. And most often and more often than not, we think that we're exhibiting agape when it's nothing but a cheap substitute called phileo. And the Lord says, just a partial list, partial, partial list of the one another's in the Bible. One another. Confess your sins to one another, James 5.16. Forgive one another, Colossians 3.13. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Rebuke one another when we come into sin, Titus 1.13. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works, Hebrews 10.24 and 25. Edify and build up one another, Romans 14.19. Counsel one another, Romans 15.14. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. Instruct one another, Colossians 3.16 Be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter 4.9-10 Bear with one another. Colossians 3.12-13 Pray for one another. James 5.16 Serve one another. Galatians 5.13 And that's just a sampling of the one another's in the Bible. And all of that is a composite drawing, a picture brought together of agape. That's what that is. And see, this is why in the Roman study, as we parse out the Word of God, and, and you men, you teach this to your families, please. Receiving God's love, receiving His love is what we got to learn to do. Because you can't impart what you don't possess. And when we receive God's love and it lets us fill us up, then we can love somebody and not view it as sacrificial because we're not looking for anything in return. It'll cost us something, but it won't viewed, it won't be viewed to be costly. Right? Don't you see Christ's death on the cross that way? 
It cost him something, but he didn't view it to be costly in the sense that the joy that was set before him to write your name in the kingdom of heaven on a on a on a on a place card with the blood of his son and the inkwell and the quill of his love and his word written from the beginning it was worth it to him and he thought not of it and despised its shame because he knew what was going to happen on the other side of it he knew what love produces love produces redemption the cross and he's saying listen you would have been supplied with all that Take what you've been supplied and supply it to your faith. Dole it out there and throw it out there. And he said, "You'll not be profit." Look at this. He keeps on going. He said, "If these things start, if these things start welling up, and these things start to characterize in your life, and they're yours, and they abound, abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." He said, "You know what? That word barren means useless. It means..." Idle. It means you're just there, but serving no purpose. Idle. I D L E. Idle. Barren. Unfruitful. And then he says, unfruitful. Well, that goes without explanation. And Jesus says, you abide in me, and you abide in my word, and you and my word abides in you. You will bear much fruit. And what does he say about fruitfulness? That's a big deal to God because fruitfulness is the means by which He's glorified in our lives. He said, by this, your Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God's interested in fruit. He cursed the fig tree because it had no what? And a fruit on it. Fruit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. He that with his souls is wise. The fruit of, of, of the labor. It isn't it something then when Jesus says, here's how you'll know the difference between somebody who has false doctrine as a false teacher who tweaks the Bible ever so little, and you contrast that with somebody else, is look at the fruit in their lives. Because you'll see, you'll know them by their fruit. I can't judge somebody's heart, and you can't either. But we can flat inspect fruit. And if it's missing, now don't go to thinking about somebody else now. Don't resist the temptation to sit there and say, yeah, boy, y'all know somebody that needs kindness. Well, then you did that, then that means you need kindness. You just revealed your heart. Don't do that. Lord, examine me. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have to, we have to draw a circle and say, God, revive everything in that circle and stand in it. God, revive me. Change me. Let these things be characteristic of my life and abound. You know what? You could all sum this up by saying to know Him. It's to love Him, and to love Him is to know Him. That you know what, once we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, can I tell you, if I've been put in these kind of positions before, and on the spot, I don't, I don't remember names well. I, I work at remembering names. I, you know, because there's not a lot of room up there, and we're trying to fill it with some other things. And so whatever I can cram in there, but I try to remember, and I have to do word associations and things like that and play games and all that. But when I know somebody really well, I love to introduce them to somebody else. You ever notice that? You know what? If you just love somebody and you're just excited about the relationship, and somebody comes along with a stranger, don't you say, I like my grandfather was like this, embarrassingly so. Mm -hmm. There'd be like a hundred of us in his hospital room, and a nurse would come in, and you've been in these settings before. And he would say, uh, 
Shelby, uh, let me just tell you about my family. And he'd go around and he'd give uh, not only our name, but a personal history, uh, a biographical sketch of every one of us. Because he was so proud of us and we're ever going, Papa, he, she didn't care anything about this. And of course, it didn't matter. He was going to say, that's my grandson. Now, he's the oldest. He's not married. If you know anybody, you know, that kind of thing. He'd mess around with me and all that kind of stuff. And then here we go around the room. You know why? He was thankful and he loved his family. I really believe that sometimes we're reluctant to introduce people to Jesus Christ because we don't know Him all that well. I don't, I, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now. I, 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 don't, I don't get real excited about taking somebody I have a superficial relationship with and introducing them to somebody that I don't know. It's, it's okay. I'll do it. But it's not the same. But boy, if you know them and that you've got some history together, see, here's the thing. In our circles, we resign. I'm afraid that we have taken Christian faith and we've, we've vested all of it in a prayer or a moment of time where we crossed over the line of faith. Well, I've asked, this happens all the time when you ask somebody, well, would you, well, I got baptized when I was 12 years old. Okay, now, let me ask you this. Are you on your way to heaven when you die? I completely ignore that. That means nothing. You got wet. That's all that could have been is got wet. In front of a bunch of people, you got wet. I prayed a prayer. What Peter is saying is this. Good. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what characterizes your relationship today? What's it like today? What's it been like this week? Has He shown you anything this week? Has He used you this week? Have you seen growth this week? Can you look six months from ago? And things that maybe that you wrestled with and you struggled with and God's bringing you or has brought you to victory. And he said, that's the kind of faith that makes your call and election sure. If I'm still grappling with the same things and, and I start losing sight, it says I become short-sighted even to blindness. You know why? Because my focus is no longer on things eternal, but my focus is on things here. And because my, things, my focus is on everything here, I've lost sight of things eternal. And when you lose sight of things eternal, you lose sight of the blood and what it costs you. You lose sight of the fact that the redemption that you have in, your, in Christ Jesus was undeserving and it came at great expense through the blood of His dear Son. Why is it, do you think, that the Lord has given us the communion table? But for that reason, that is a reason, do this habitually because you will begin to be cold and indifferent and forget. Last week, Brother Brian asked us, he said, he said let's do this. Let's, have you ever been, you ever done this? I do this. But have you ever done this? You be on your way out and maybe you, maybe it's in the morning, and you're running late, and you got to go somewhere, and you fix a bowl of cereal, and you put it on the counter, and maybe y'all got some high counters where you can stand up and comfortably, and you'll put the bowl of cereal up there, and you'll just shove it down because you're on the way out. That's the way the Passover meal was given. He said, "Let me tell you something. Get everything ready because at the alarm, when I sound the alarm, and I send the death angel, and he strikes all the firstborn, and I say, go, you're out of here." I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus is going to stand up one day at the Father's bidding and He's going to come back. And when He says, you're out of here, you're out of here. And that's why we wanted it embedded. If it wasn't for even just the little ones to be embedded, that one time you took the Lord's Supper standing up because you know what? He's coming back. 
And, and let's, let's have that orientation where we're watching and praying at the same time. And then we won't be short-sighted even to blindness. And then we'll have a call and an election that's sure. And then we'll never stumble. But we'll have an entrance made into the eternal God, kingdom of our great God. Not because we deserve it, but because of what He did. But there is to be a faithful response to what He did. And that faithful response to what He did ought to mean that sooner or later, the life of Christ is manifest in me and you. It ought to be that. Nothing confusing, no pastels, clear colors. I'm talking about not middle of the road living. Here's your jersey. It's blood red. I belong to Him. And there's clear evidence of it. I've talked about this before. I can't imagine. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had where somebody will call up. I remember them well. I remember many of them. And I have a friend call up in the church. Uncle Bill just died. Dropped dead of a heart attack. Well, brother, was he saved? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you want that way? Mm -hmm. You want somebody that kind of knows you and just goes, mm -hmm. well, I you know what that means. What that means is he prayed a prayer years ago. And ever since then, and he'll use God's name every now and then and use it respectfully. But since then, there's been little or no evidence that that decision ever changed his life and gives no credibility to whether or not it was real. I'll tell you something. Eternity is too long to be wrong. We need to make our call and our election sure. And if it is sure, then we're going to have an appetite for supplying our faith with what's been supplied to us. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, leading to agape love. Is your call and your election sure? Are those things, do you look at that life, not that list, but that life, and see where you're making progress? If not... This morning is a great place to start. And the place to start is repentance. God, I own up to it. I take sides with you. Things are not right. There's something, there's a big disconnect between what I profess and how I'm walking. And I want that gap to start closing. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. Repentance. Revival. Restoration and reformation. And I'll walk in a different way. Let's examine ourselves this morning. Is the relationship there? If it is, we can take the Lord's Supper. But it needs to be confined, combined with fellowship. If the fellowship's not there, pass it by. Make it right. If you don't make it right this morning, better to sit there and pass it by and be honest enough about it. But if you're in relationship and fellowship, join. Let's, let's belly up there to the table and let's take this joyfully with reverence and respect of a holy, worthy God who sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for every last one of our sins. And we can have wonderful communion with Him. But don't, if you're a believer, don't stay there. Don't. Repent. Repent. Because God doesn't want to keep you away from the table. God has invited you to sit at it. And He made a way for you to sit at it through the gift of His Son. Brother Brian's going to come and lead us as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray.